Welcome to the European Hockey Federation podcast. In conversation with the biggest name in hockey, generating insight and engagement around coaching, officiating and playing. Powered by Coach Logic and supported by FAH Academy. Presented by Jack Rolfe, the founder of the Coaching Lab. Today we spoke with Amber Luzar, England and Great Britain performance analyst, about her hockey life and future of video analysis. Listen more about it on this episode. Over to Jack. Amazing. Coaches, uh, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you join us from. It's great to have you again as ever. Uh, I'm Jack Rolfe, founder of the Coaching Lab and presenter for the series for the EHF. Um, it's great again to have you on board. And as ever, you know, another world-class uh, individual with us working at the top end of international hockey. So, Amber, welcome. It's fantastic to have you on board. Well, thanks. thanks for inviting me. No worries. Um, Amber, give us a bit of a background because we probably wouldn't see you on the field. Uh, or maybe a, a bit of a name that we may not hear of a team sheets or uh, whatever. So how would people know you? What do you do? How do you keep uh, hockey ticking over? <laughs> yeah, you certainly won't see me that often, um, unless there's a technical hitch down on the bench somewhere. Um, so my name is Amber Lazar. I'm the performance analyst for GV Hockey. Uh, I predominantly work with the, with the women uh, and have done since 2014 or back in the 2014 um, but I also oversee the men's provision, um, what, the, what the analysts do for the senior men and our development squad. So I head up the department at, at England and Great Britain Hockey. Uh, initially started off as a, as a performance analyst in football, moved across, made a, made a bit of a sideways step to, to uh, a, a new world for me in hockey. Uh, and I've, I've been there nearly six years now. Awesome. And that crossover from, from football, um, how did that happen? And kind of give us a bit of background and context of what environment you was working in within football. So I worked as a, as a first team analyst or started off as an intern uh, for Reading Football Club. I then stayed on uh, after my internship and worked for the first team. We did a season in the Premier League and, and a season in the Championships. Unfortunately, we got relegated in the, when I worked in the Premier League, but um, it was certainly a good challenge. Um, and at that point, I was so early on in my career that I thought it was a, a good opportunity to just try something different. I was actually looking for a new football club at the time um, and the, the hockey role came up. Um, I certainly didn't think I would have much of a chance in, in getting the role, if I'm honest, because my background wasn't, wasn't hockey. But I think in, in some situations, that's quite a, quite a unique advantage because I came with no pre-bias, no predisposition on how the game should be played um, and could just look at it really objectively with what I was capturing. And, and see what the numbers were saying. Um, and hockey, um, the women's head coach and performance director Danny Kerry at the time um, took took a took a risk on me, I guess, and and gave me a, gave me a shot. And and the and the rest is history. And now looking back at football, what do you see as some of the biggest differences or challenges that you've you've had to come across? I think the, the biggest difference is culturally the, the, the two sports and, and as organisations, they're very different. You've gone from a private sector to um, an, an Olympic um, sort of um, government funded sport. They're very, very different and culturally they're very different. So I found it um, an awful lot easier, I guess, to have conversations with coaches and integrate some of my new ideas or some things that I thought might be might be of benefit. Um, and certainly being able to 
talk and engage with the athletes is very different. The athletes, I think, from a young age are, are brought up to be quite inquisitive and um, ask questions and learn and self-analyze. Um, so that part was already already kind of done in that environment. I didn't have to work too hard at that, at integrating that into part of our workflow. So that was probably the biggest difference was, was culturally how the two yeah. sports run. And two-sided question, what's one thing you'd take back to football uh, and one thing you'd like to bring from football into hockey? Very good question. I think from I think what I would take to football is probably a completely new way of um, of working in from a, from an analytical point of view from a workflow sense. I've learned an awful lot from being in an environment that you have limited resources, um, how to maximise what you've got, and I certainly would take that into into a football environment because you have the opportunity to have so much in football because you have external partners that you provide you data and things like that but you probably because of that um don't don't really know what you don't know um and how to really uh, maximize a workflow and certainly now i'm far better at using different software to its full potential um than i said than i was previously um and i guess what i brought from football really was um what did i bring from football I think just understanding actually how different sports do things and the, and the, the real, this is what could be possible. Um, and just a, a different, unique way of looking at something that maybe um, hockey hadn't had an experience up until that point, I guess. Let's go to that first kind of experience of you come with a new coach, um, you know, you're obviously under Danny and now under Mark. What is that relationship like when, you know, someone is part of a coaching team, which you are, but how does that, because it's not necessarily on field, how does that conversation, what sort of stuff are you talking about when you go in and also when a new coach comes in as well? I think the biggest thing is just spending a good amount of time just understanding each other, trying to understand exactly, particularly from my point of view, how that coach that I'm now working with, what their philosophy is, how they like to see data, if they, if they do or don't, how much of it do they like. I think the most the, the most important thing is developing that relationship with with a coach uh, and understanding that that takes time and it takes a bit of trial and error and there'll be things that I might build and design that don't quite hit the mark um, and you have to you have to go again. Um, but I think keeping keeping a good relationship or certainly developing one allows you then to have open, honest conversations to feed back on what you're doing and evolve it to a point that actually is going to do exactly what that specific coach wants, particularly because even within a coach and staff of the same team, each coach operates slightly differently. So there'll be elements of my work that are slightly different based on different coaches, even within uh, our own squad. Yeah, and I suppose that was kind of my follow-up question of how the hell do you know what to tag? Because hockey, like any sport, innovation sport, there's so much to do. Are you sit, do you sit down with the coach and say, and the coach says, this is what I want, or how do you attack that? But a, bit of, a bit of both. There's always, um, there's, as I said, I really try and have an open, honest relationship with my coaches and hopefully you know, tick the boxes that they need, um, but also try and cover the gaps that we don't know exist. So particularly 
from a team perspective, we, we try and capture everything. Whether we use everything all the time is a different question. We have targeted things that we'll be looking at that are specific to how we're trying to play it in that, in that moment or um, you know, that kind of aligns to the philosophy that we're trying to achieve. Um, but there's always a few specific things that a coach will say, actually, this, this is something that I definitely would like you to capture. So I tried to design something that captured pretty much everything from a team perspective. Um, and then some of the nuances of things that get added in on top are, are driven by, by some of our coaches. And when you say design for some coaches, what does that what does that mean when you say design? Because I think some coaches are maybe not in the luxury position to have all the software and the cameras and everything. Um, basically design what a coding capture window looks like. So what are the things I'm tagging and um, how can I maximize, like I alluded to at the beginning, how can I maximize what I'm tagging? So if I press one button, will it only give me a shot or can I add in some stuff in the background that will give it some different context? So does this shot come from X location? Was it on target? Whereabouts was it on target? So, um, yeah, so rather than just kind of the first surface level that I know coaches say, yeah, absolutely, we definitely want to code our shots and we want to know where they come from. How much can I design in the background that will, I guess, give us an extra level of depth that we can then look into? And now let's dive into how you present this information. Um, you know, how are you working with the players? How are you working with the coaches to share and present this information in the most impactful way? So I guess there's, there's definitely not a one size fits all. We work, as I said, with different, everybody's different and our players are different and they learn differently. Um, so we try to, we try to capture something that will target every type of learner. So we might have some um, written context there's a try to get some sort of interactivity with stuff. So are there some sort of scroll bars for things that people can kind of um, feed through and, and, and look at, can you click on a button and it will pop up with some things that give you a bit of information. Can we integrate video into it? So we, we try and do a whole host of things. Our reporting from a match sense is quite consistent. Now we've got what we want to look at. Um, and most of that will sit in a report that will allow you to um, have the information. There'll be some heat maps on there and there'll be some different, different um, ways of visualizing data. And then you can also link that to the video. So you might be able to click on that button and it will bring up the video of, of that clip. And is that file different for both players and coaches in terms of depth and detail or do both have access to that? No, I mean, the, the principle of them are, are the same. The difference with the athletes one is it has less numbers on it. Um, we don't want them to be, um, you know, sort of taken up by all the, all the numbers. It's not, it's not important for them. Certainly don't want them to be playing to the numbers. So we try to um, strip back, I guess, the real, um, that, that context, whereas the coaches obviously will be far more, far more detailed. But what it allows us to do is just highlight certain clips where we've done things particularly well or highlight things that maybe we need to work on. And in, in our tournaments, when you play back to back, being able to filter those things out quickly allows us to review and move forward onto, onto the next game because we don't have the luxury of a week or two between each match. So it's about just trying to 
filter out what we would usually look for and as opposed to us sitting down and watching the game trying to find it, it, it sort of flags it easily for us. Yeah, you picked up on it a little bit there, uh, but what do players, both in football and in hockey, just absolutely hate? You know, what are the kind of the no-goes when we talk about presenting information and presenting data? I think too much information is probably the thing that we're all, all guilty of, myself included. Um, and particularly just the, the sheer content of things. So you could find one clip that really shows exactly what we did and we executed it to perfection. And there may well be 10 other clips where we've done that. And obviously, because we want to reinforce a message, we say, here are the 10 clips we've done really well, um, which is great. But if, if they're all showing a similar thing, it's probably far more powerful for them to say, right, here's one or two where we've executed it well. And bring out a big number on the screen that says, but we've actually done this 10 times. I found, I found that. We don't need to sit through for 20 minutes and watch all of these. Um, we, can make, we can make reference to them. But I think it's quite easy to, to, to just throw things in. And what happens is meetings become longer and um, you know, we all have a, a limited attention span. So unless we're doing some really targeted things to mix up those meetings and refresh ourselves, um, then, then sometimes you can lose the room towards, towards the back end of a meeting. Mm. And kind of how do you test learning in a way that, what I mean by that is you've given them the video, how do you know that they've watched the video? Because um, I think we often see a lot of players watch, but how do we know what they're watching um, and maybe taking that out of the video they're watching? Well, I, we, we particularly use an awful lot of question and an awful lot of athletes or sort of self-driven delivery as well. So we'll often get the athletes to present on the opposition or, um, or some of or our own analysis. So I think because they're used to that and they're used to at any moment being asked to explain to everybody else why we press like this or how we press or what we're expecting of the opposition, um, it becomes quite ingrained that they realise that they can't just watch for the sake of watching. Um, and our senior athletes in particular have obviously grown up for a long period of time in that environment and developed their own workflows as to why they do things. And they're always buddied up with one of the younger players that comes in. So we just try and uh, reinforce those behaviours from one, what our senior athletes are doing very well and, and second of all, what we're doing. The players have... We have an analysis room at Bisham Abbey where we're based um, and it's, it's opposite, opposite where the coaches sit. So they're always encouraged to don't sit there and ponder, go and grab a coach and just have a five minute chat. So the culture definitely lends itself to that type of environment. Yeah, and we've seen it a little bit in football where you see the big screens um, on the training ground with kind of live feeds and live feedback or video from previous games with the luxury of having that room at Bisham, which is amazing, is that, how is that being used within the day-to-day -day training environment? Yeah, similar really. It depends, it depends exactly what sort of thing we're targeting. So there may be periods where we're in a training block and there's certain things we're working on and therefore what we're asking the athletes to do when they go into the analysis room is to look specifically at what we're doing in training um, and so we can execute it even better when we go out again the following week. Or there may be some um, targeted things around scouting for the opposition if we're coming up to, um, to a particular match or a tournament. 
So it does, it does ebb and flow and change, but there is dedicated time within their week as they would with every discipline. So they have dedicated time with our physios, nutritionists, psychologists, and analysis is just part of that, that one, one piece of the puzzle of that picture. Um, so they have it in their calendar that they spend X amount of time uh, in the analysis room. And then what that question is will obviously change based on what we're working on. Yeah, I think that's an important message for the coaches, isn't it? Of just creating that space to value video um, rather than having it as the, the last thing on the list of oh, where can we find time? I think you've just picked up on it so cleanly of just create a space and, and value that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's really changed the way, the way the girls think. And I think one thing that we've certainly tried to do um, more recently is ask a targeted question. I'll, like go go with a don't don't just say or oh, go and obviously analyze what we did or go and have a look at what we did uh last time we played germany or whatever actually go with a question and follow it up um that's why some of these online platforms that allow you to share um video are so good because they have those conversation reels and actually you can you can have coach coach input athlete input and have a dialogue around what what we're trying to to look at um, and there's certainly a difference between knowing how to watch video um, as opposed to just watching it and watching where I am on the ball and did I do all oh, that was a good shot by me um, actually actually watching video for the real reasons that you're watching it so am I deliberately now checking how I'm doing in the press um, or how I'm leading going forward so I think sometimes that they're the conversations that I particularly would have with some of the new athletes that come onto program um, just trying to encourage them to maybe think a little bit differently about why they're watching things and how they're watching it. I was going to ask you that, you know, have you seen a difference in, you know, the 18 year old that's coming into the squad versus the, maybe the 33 year old that's, you know, slowly coming towards the end of um, his or hers playing career. Is there a difference? Have you seen a difference in the way you have to present and share that information? Uh, probably not in terms of how I present or share information, if I'm honest. I think that's relatively consistent. Um, but there's certainly a difference, I guess, in how how they go about their analysis. I think when you've been around for a little bit longer, you've developed your own um, rhythm and routine and what works for you. Um, and it's really important that you do that. So for some players, as I said, if we play a back-to-back -back game, for example, for some players, it's really important that they have time to watch what they needed to watch in that game, put it to bed, go to sleep, go again. Some players, it doesn't work for them to watch before they go to sleep, particularly if they've got to prepare for another game. So it's, it's really important that they understand themselves well enough and know that they can work out their own workflow around it. And, and neither really is right or wrong, but you have to find what works for you and what puts you in the best state moving forward. Um, the younger athletes, I think, just need to trial and error a few things and find their find their feet I think um, there's not a one size fits all and just because our captain does one thing and our another senior player does something different we don't need to copy that but we can obviously take note of what they do and then try and find our feet with what works for us and how do you uh, deal with a player or a group of players maybe that just reacts badly to watching video um, or doesn't like to see themselves or I think we're all guilty as coaches. We show that clip where, you know, there's something that could have been different. You know, how, how are you dealing with that and sharing that? 
the most important thing is to actually have a communi- like good communication with a player. So if you, if you feel like behaviourally there's a, um, a bit of defensiveness or there's something that, that they haven't, doesn't feel like it's sat well, go and have a conversation with them. Understand what that is. Like, did, should I not have done that? Was it, was it what I said about it? Was it the fact it was shown in front of multiple people? Like, what was it? Um, so first of all, understanding what that is, because it's really easy to make assumptions on how someone actually has interpreted it. They could well just be really, really annoyed at themselves for the fact that they've done that. Um, and you've taken that as, as the fact that they actually haven't liked your delivery. Um, so I think trying to just, you know, have, have those really good relationships and ask, ask them. Um, and second of all, I think, especially if you're in a position where you want to show these clips, either from a team or individual perspective to the whole group, because everybody learns from it, just making sure you're normalizing that as part of your environment. So that's something that we do. It's not something that we're being ultra critical or judgmental of certain players. This is just how we collectively are going to learn and get better and move forward. Um, And then in the back of your mind, just be mindful of how often you're picking on certain players, Um, obviously unintentionally, but sometimes it could just mean that, you know, in, in the two or three examples you want, it happens to sort of reference to one player um, and just be a little bit mindful of that. Sometimes you might have to dig a little bit harder or maybe don't show a clip for that and just discuss something. Um, yeah. I think just on that, I know a couple of coaches almost plan their video meetings as they would plan a normal kind of session, um, you know, planning the sorts of questions and maybe the individuals there going to target so they're not going into a video meeting uh, you know totally blind they have a real understanding of who are they going to prime or who do they need to speak to you know beforehand yeah definitely and I think one of the things that is if obviously time time permitting that is has been quite beneficial is if you can if you can tidy up the debrief or your or your meeting or whatever it happens to be with enough time to, to pass out to the athletes prior to the meeting. You get an awful lot of engagement and less sort of um, shock, I guess, if it happens to be you, because you've already seen what the content of the meeting is going to be. You've already had the opportunity to look at clips and discuss it with a coach if you want to. Um, and therefore, one, the athletes come slightly more um, prepared to ask some questions or say, actually, yeah, I did watch that clip and I, you know, I know I should have done X, Y, Z. And there's also no surprises for anybody involved. And I think sometimes that just settles the anxiety a little bit and just allows the meeting to be quite open and honest. And, you know, we can talk about the things we need to and then move forward. I think that's awesome for the coaches to take away on the call. And this last one on team meetings, what would kind of be your top tips for effective and impactful team meetings? Kind of what are the non-negotiables for a team meeting? Um, So I alluded to it before, but be really mindful of just giving loads of information like even from a bullet point sense and things like that like anything just be mindful of cognitive overload because it can be like that so often we have every team has their own principles or goals or things we're trying to achieve in a game and and for the most part they the the sort of top ticket items don't really change because that's how we want to play so they don't really change from match to match and things like that, all good, albeit it's really good to have that up as a reminder because we just want to constantly reinforce that that's our messaging. Um, what you can do is change, change those wordings and associate it with maybe an icon. So, for example, if you, I don't know, if I take something like, if you want to be um, hard in the tackle or something like that, you can actually, if that's one of your overarching principles, you can associate that with an icon and therefore 
rather than having a load of words, there'll be an icon on the screen that everyone will associate with what you're trying to say. And pretty much everybody is very, very visual. So those things don't take as much um, processing as, as reading a sentence would, nor do they take as long. So that's, that's a, a good tip that I think can be quite beneficial. And if you have the time and capacity to do it, if you get your athletes to drive what they want those icons to be for certain things, um, then it, it lands even better because it's what they've chosen. Yeah. Uh, and almost four years ago to the day, um, GB won an Olympic gold medal, um, which he was obviously involved in. But one of the big foundations behind that with Danny as well would have been a Thinking Thursday. Um, and maybe you could share a little bit of one, what is the hell is a Thinking Thursday? Uh, but also what and where and how did video sit within that? Yeah, Thinking Thursday has become incredibly popular with athletes and coaches. Um, the athletes absolutely love it. It basically is a, a session that ends up being particularly competitive. They have different scenario-based um, sessions around certain things. You'll have different point allocations for certain things we're working on. Um, the, the squad will get split up and maybe they may stay in those same teams for a couple of weeks on the bounce. So we kind of develop that real team culture, think about how you're going to win Thinking Thursday. Uh, and it ended up being... Uh, um, a massive um, excitement for everybody involved because the quality of those sessions um, were incredible based on one the competitive nature of it two they were very clear um, structured ways of winning um, but with an element of having to uh, figure things out for yourself as well uh, so my role within that was I guess much of the same as most of my training but uh, so I, I would capture it and um, code different elements of it based on obviously what those scenarios were or what the main um, objectives were of those sessions and then I probably would go back certainly early on when I started I would go back and do some post-match um, post coding of them in terms of adding a bit more context um, and that made things even more competitive because obviously we've now got some different numbers that can can show exactly why teams win or why why they haven't um, and just it just added to the to the competitiveness of it because we could easily then start uh, ranking based on how many players have had x amount of shots or how many have been on target and um, the the girls and and the lads that that have engaged in that have have really enjoyed it. Mm. And we'd think as, as video, and you kind of picked up it there, but we would only record games, but you've just spoken about it there, recording training as well. What are the benefits and what you're looking at when you're recording training? And how is that, is that impacting the players or more the coaches or how does that evolve? Yeah, we, we, we capture a lot of training. Um, we definitely, there's some like non-negotiables that we would always capture. So anything around set pieces, we would, we would make sure we capture. Um, and they may change. So it might be me filming as normal or it may be um, I'll be out with a high speed camera, um, particularly looking at our flickers and things like that for, for them to really look back at their technique. That happens less often, but it's definitely something that we engage with now and again. Um, so it's, it's a bit of both, really. So our coaches will spend a lot of time, depending on what phase of the cycle we're in but they'll 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 often spend a fair amount of time looking back through training and pulling out some clips for particular individuals for them to look back at 
the athletes will watch training an awful lot um, and they're encouraged to because one is being captured so let's make sure we're using it and, and two it allows them to see what they've been working on see how they've been executing it and then for the following session be able to adjust as they need to or speak to coaches as they need to it just provides that level of feedback for them as to and, and for us as to whether our coaching interventions are actually improving that area that we were we were hoping to um and it and it becomes quite a, a nice bridge between we were hoping to make these gains in a game and i can track that on a match by match basis but filling in the gaps in the middle as to how we've maybe uh tried to target that and push that forward um allows us to one reinforce what we've done or two say do you know what we did that for a week or two weeks in the middle of this block and it and it probably hasn't given us the gains we want so it allows us to reflect on what we're delivering and why we're delivering it and when you say set pieces is that just penalty corner attack and defense or is there some long corners in there and other wider stuff? Yeah, a couple, a couple of different bits. I mean, mainly it's mainly it will be corners. Um, but yeah, as you alluded to there, there's some. You know, we look at how how we take um, how we take our static free hits um, from different areas of the pitch, um, just to you know try and you know everyone's looking for that one percent of doing something slightly differently that will make the difference from from being seventh or on the podium uh, because the margins are that small. So um we we look at we look at a couple of different things but, but the consistent ones are, are definitely corners and then other ones will ebb and flow throughout the year depending on where our focus areas are and when we say video we we would often make a, a presumption that it would always be from a tower above looking down onto the pitch but how else are you using video you said about drag flicks there but what sort of other tech and gadgets are you using to capture some feedback for athletes and players yeah, I mean, the most part, we um, if we're not in a tower, then we're down, we're ground level, but there'll be an IP camera sat high up. So that definitely gives you the best perspective on a game, particularly spatially. Um, but anything that's um, individual skill based, then we tend to um, try and get things that are a little bit closer up just so you can really see uh, or the coaches can really see from a technique point of view. So our coaches, particularly during this period with, um, with lockdown and, and not being able to have so many members of staff out on the pitch, they've certainly got really good at filming on their iPads, which I'm hoping will continue moving forward. So there'll be some um, sessions where the, they'll set up an iPad like quite close into a certain particular area that, um, that players will be doing, doing a skill um, and then they, they can break them down. So... We also use iPads sometimes to have our coaches code some additional bits of information during during training, um, and that one sort of gives me um, a little bit of uh, respite, so I don't have to do it post game because obviously our resources are, are quite small um, in comparison to what we're trying to achieve. Um, but it also allows actually their level of expertise, which is far greater from an individual technique point of view than mine ever would be um, and capturing their knowledge um, provides even more context and um, you know possibilities between what we're giving to the players and, and how we're how we're going to um, show them exactly what was good about their technique and what we maybe want to tweak and I think that's you know I think that's fantastic for the coaches to hear because there's a very only a very small amount get to work at the top elite level 
that everyone pretty much owns an iPad or an iPhone that can capture some sort of video. So I think, you know, it's a great message to send to the coaches, you know, and the players there that just use what you've got in front of you and what you've got at your fingertips. How do you deal with maybe the injured players or those that aren't training on, you know, their lower loads? How do they continue to get involved in video? Is there an added role and responsibility for them? Yeah, sometimes. Um, it certainly depends on the on the injury, on the athlete, uh, what their rehab program's like. Obviously, sometimes it's uh, it's, it's maybe maybe not going to be best for them to be involved in those types of things. So it's a far bigger conversation with the uh, the the whole staff team to see how best to integrate them. But absolutely, um, unless there's any medical appointments that they can't uh, that that sort of clash with any of our training sessions. They still attend every meeting. They're still involved with all those things. And for training, they particularly think in Thursday, they're usually the scorers. Um, so they take a pretty big role because uh, obviously with the competitiveness, they need to get that bang on. Um, uh, and, and also there may be things, as I said there, where um, a coach may um, film on their iPad or, or give some extra level of context with their coding. Um, that might be where some of our, our rehab players actually take on some of that um so yeah they're they're very good at technology so they're they're easy for me to teach and ask questions to and say you know can you can you do this and they're always really happy to be involved um you know most of them want to be involved as opposed to doing their rehab for three weeks before they then come back in so they're very well integrated into what we're still doing yeah the final couple of questions amber i think one would be where is video going in terms of where are we going to see video being able to be captured from what sort of tech are we starting to see or what are you starting to hear that you know will be possible in the not so distant future well i think there's there's a few things i mean everyone's loving a drone at the moment uh, and that gives you a really nice um that gives you a really nice view um but the battery life on them probably doesn't satisfy really what we could use at the moment and it also takes one person to sort of manually film so it's quite resource heavy in that sense but moving forward I think these things will be uh, far more automated um, so you might be able to or you can now put trackers in the back and the cameras will follow that person or follow the trackers so I think over time we'll get IP cameras that you could probably set to manual uh, to automatically follow play which would actually free you up then from actually anybody filming um, so those things would definitely allow uh, an analyst or a coach to, well, be able to just go, yeah, click, I want you to follow this for the next hour. Um, and that will allow an analyst to maybe look at some different things um, because our role at the moment involves coding and filming at the same time. Um, so obviously, um, as much as we've got used to multitasking, we can get rid of one of those and maybe add something different. Awesome. And I think the last question would be, You've spoke about it earlier, but obviously you've got so far with it, but how did you first get into video analysis? Was it just the job that someone said, Amber, here's a camera, can you go and do some video for me? How did that journey uh, begin? So I, I studied sports science at, at uni. I didn't really um, know at that time exactly what I wanted to do, but if you'd asked me, I was going to work for a professional football club and that was my goal. Like That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then I undertook a um, sports science internship at a football club when I was doing my master's. And that involved a bit of everything. So 
a little bit of analysis, a bit of strength and conditioning, a bit of nutrition. It, it was a real holistic kind of role. Um, and that, albeit you didn't get to spend much time in each of those areas, given obviously there's quite a lot to get through with that. It really allowed me to know where I wanted to be. Um, and analysis for me played to my strengths. I specialised in biomechanics, um, was always pretty, well, far better with numbers than I was with words. So um, it just, yeah, fitted my skill set more and I really enjoyed it. Um, so that kind of was really where it cemented for me that that was a, a, a role that perhaps I could, um, I could pursue. And yeah, and I just went into it from there. And the rest is history. And you have a gold medal to, to show for it. Amazing. Uh, Albert, thanks so much for your time. I think all the coaches on the call will be slightly challenged and kind of uh, going away and reflecting on how they're delivering video, how they're presenting that information. And they're probably thinking to themselves, I'll probably talk for too long uh, in some meetings. So I think it's some really good, useful takeaways. And if you've got any more to add, Amber, um, if not, it'd be, you know, thanks a lot. And great to have you with us. No, well, thanks for having me. I mean, I guess if, if there are any questions or, or anyone wants to follow up on anything, then I'll be happy to chat through some stuff. But um, I guess in terms of um, if you're reflecting and thinking that you talk too much, then um, all of us do that. That's just, you know, that's just nature of, of what we do. And it becomes quite, um, it becomes really easy. And the, the difficult thing is stripping that back, even though I know I absolutely need to do that. I find it very, I will watch the same same three clips to decide which one I w would, would prefer multiple times. It's a difficult skill to learn, but certainly when you, when you get to that point, um, one, you'll realise that you have more time because you haven't, the meetings haven't gone on so long or you've been able to strip things back, but also um, the, the players will be able to remember more of it. Yeah. One final question on that, Amber. I spoke to a coach recently um, within rugby and they said, uh, you know, I asked my assistant coach just to tell me what I'm doing. Just give me feedback. How does that work in video environments? You know, are you asking the coaches to give you feedback? Are you giving the coaches feedback around how they're delivering video because you're the one that's captured that video? Yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have developed a good relationship with my coaches. So I feel like there's a there's a mutual um, level of respect to be able to have those conversations. And I think I think as long as we all know that everybody is is going to, you know, the intent is good. The intent is to say, look, like this bit was really good, but maybe on here we need to speed that bit up, or you didn't need to do that clip as well, or whatever it might be. Um, our coaches are very streamlined now with how they do it. They have very set sort of structured meetings with which sections they all take. Um, but the other things that I've tried to do, there's so many online resources as well that you can, um, you can look at. And there's also a lot of people um, externally that work in like the corporate world that purely teach people how to present or give you some tips on how to present. So we've tried to take some of that on as well and integrate that into, into our sporting world. No, amazing. Amber, wish you all the best for hopefully getting back to the pitch uh, and to some competition sooner rather than later. So, yeah, great to have you with us, Amber, and thanks a lot. No worries. Take care. Awesome. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the European Hockey Federation podcast presented the Coaching Lab, powered by Coach Logic and supported by EFH Academy. More episodes will be followed for Series 2 over the next few weeks.
Follow European Hockey Federation on a social media to keep in touch.